0: Everyone, if you're just joining us, um, you're coming in uh, towards the beginning, really, of our sermon series called uh, Love Your Neighbor. And what we're doing for this for the next three months, really up through the beginning of December, is we're looking at that seemingly simple but yet incredibly complicated but brilliant call that Christ has upon the life of a Christian. That we would love our neighbor. And in so many ways, the fullness of the Christian life is wrapped up in those three words. Well, uh, for, for the past two weeks, we uh, looked at what um, that word love means. We're going to dive into that more deeply today as well. But what I want to do is I want to focus on the question. I want to answer the question, who is our neighbor? Who is our neighbor? And this is the very question Jesus answers, not by a a definition per per se, but by a parable, by, by, uh, by the parable of the good Samaritan. Now, this is a very popular idiom in our culture. Yes, we're kind of in the late modern kind of the post-Christian world even here in in Mount Pleasant certainly Um, but this concept of a good Samaritan remains part of our culture it usually is used to denote someone who goes out of their way to help someone to help another especially those that we don't know It, it often kind of means we sort of go over normal boundaries that we put up but Between ourselves, and the cultural understanding of this um, of this idea is really captured uh, by this uh, picture up here. It was done by a Russian artist in the late eighteen hundreds, and you know you see here's this this poor man on the ground. He's he's beaten up, his body's broken. Here's this other man. He's there to help him. There's a a, obviously someone from. Africa there assisting him. And so you can have this picture of, you know, these, uh, you know, these sort of these different races, these different people from different backgrounds all coming together and loving each other. Now, this is true. This is what this story says. But what I want to do, though, is I want to look even more deeply because as true as this is, I actually think it misses the main message of who our neighbor is. And so to look at this, at this story, to really understand, to mine it for its riches, if you will, to hear what Jesus wants us to hear. Um, Just a couple of contextual things to find who some of the players are. Well, of course, we have Jesus um, and and, uh, Jesus is responding to what's called a lawyer here. That's not a, you know, a jurist doctor. You know, he's not, you know, filing lawsuits. This is a this is a expert in the Jewish law. And he's a Jew himself, obviously. But you see, what he's doing is he's asking this question to justify himself, to prove himself right in the face of, of uh, Jesus Christ. Because his understanding, what he was taught now, what the Old Testament teaches, we'll talk about that next week. But what he was taught was kind of developed over the traditions of the Jewish culture was that. This command to love your neighbor, your your neighbor were only your fellow Jews. Everyone else was Gentile dogs. Everyone else was unclean. And so, therefore, they were almost seen as less than human beings. Again, the the Old Testament teaches the opposite. But this was the tradition that developed throughout the uh, centuries. And so he thought this was just gospel truth. I'm only supposed to love my neighbor, which is my fellow Jews. So to break this understanding, Jesus juxtaposes two things. He juxtaposes the uh, Jewish people, right? And that's represented by the man who himself was was attacked, their spiritual leaders, the priests and and the Levites, and the Samaritans, right? Well, interestingly, one of the ways that our culture, you know, what our culture's done is it sort of watered down what a Samaritan was, what was happening in this picture. In reality, in the time that Jesus is... Living and preaching. The biggest enemy of the Jews. Weren't the Romans. Weren't the Persians. It was the Samaritans. They once used to be part of the great family of Israel. They they were uh, uh, literally brothers and sisters by blood. But the Samaritans broke away from the old Jewish root. Religion and, and adopted other local gods, sort of mixed them up and then began to try to push this new theology on the uh, Jewish people. And in response, the Jewish pe- people responded with sort of uh, uh, civil war and and, and strife and economic hardship. And, and throughout the course of their relationship for centuries, almost 600, 700 years, they were bitter, mortal enemies with the Jews actually having the political and military upper hand on them, it would be like this: Let's say Donald Trump and/or Nancy Pelosi were walking down the road, right, and got attacked by, by robbers. Donald Trump and/or Pelosi. I'm not going to say which one's which. I'm going to take that out and say I support one of the two. Right? That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is that that was the level of enmity. That was the level of bitterness. That was the level of hatred that Jews and Samaritans had for each other. And so as we dive into the story, as we look at what the Samaritan does to this Jewish man who's left half dead. What we see is not some friendly little picture. Of just coming upon a stranger that you do not know and helping them, someone that you're neutral to, what we see is that the Samaritan goes to his greatest enemy, the one that loathes him and that he should loathe back, the one who should, unlike The uh, two religious men. He's actually justified in walking by this man and going to the other side because Jews have only oppressed his people. Jews are getting what they deserve. At least that's what they thought. That's what they thought it should be. And of course, Jesus Christ tells us, doesn't he, to love our enemies. To pray for them, to bless them and not curse them. And so as we walk in, Jesus's definition of who our our neighbor is. It's our enemy. And so before moving into how we love them, what it looks like to love them. Let me ask us, who is your neighbor enemy? Who is the one that threatens all that you believe in and hold dear? Who is it that you believe is out to destroy you? Who do you think life would be perfect if they just didn't exist? Maybe they're in your workplace. Maybe they're in your home. Maybe they're related to you. Maybe it is your actual physical neighbor. Whatever it is, whoever it is. That's your neighbor. That's the one that Jesus Christ is calling us to go and love. And so that takes us to to the second thing. If that's who our neighbor is, our enemy, then how are we called to treat them? Well, simple enough, we're called to love them. Yes, as we talked about the past couple weeks, that uh, word love can can be defined in all kinds of ways. But you see, Jesus gives us a picture of. In this story of what love really looks like. So first off, we have this this, uh, Samaritan man, right? What does he do? When when he saw this man lying on on the side of the road, he had compassion for him. He went out to him, bound up his wounds, poured oil and wine on them. Now, just some context here. For the sake of of pointing out who our neighbor is, it didn't set the stage, if you will, for what's actually happening here. This road from uh, Jerusalem to uh, Jericho, uh, Jerusalem's on on a mountain that drops down through very, very steep valleys, very, very narrow places. And it was known to be a hotbed of where robbers were. It was just known. You just don't go there at dark, right? You, You just don't do that. You don't need to go there during light unless you're part of a larger party. And so this man of his own foolishness, Um, this uh, gets attacked, gets beaten, gets left half dead. And the first two men that walk by, the priest and and the the Levite, two uh, Jewish religious leaders, walk by for a host of reasons. But one of them is, is that they don't want to slow down the moment that they stop, the the moment that they slow down, they become, become a target. Could this man be a plant? Is this a trap? If we stop and help him, is he in cohort with all the robbers? Are they going to attack us too? So the first thing that we see, if you will, one of the most remarkable things is this Samaritan stops and he walks over and he puts himself in danger of being attacked. But he he doesn't just stop there. He doesn't just check on him and move on. He went to him, bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine on the wound. Wine may be helpful in other ways when, when you're hurt. I I ministered to one man who is unable to take any pain um, medications and uh, he was in for a small surgery and when, uh, and when uh, the uh, nurse asked him, well, if you don't take Advil or Tylenol, what about like normal headaches in a back aches? And he just goes, "Why didn't Randy? That's what I do. But no, here we have this man pouring the oil and the wine on his wounds, treating him right there. And in doing so, he's acting even more selflessly because number one, he's using up his own first aid supplies on his enemy. And these are also things of great value. Maybe he was going down to uh, Jericho to trade them. we don't know. But either way, he's pouring himself out. For him. But then he doesn't stop there. He doesn't just keep on moving. He doesn't bound up the, the uh, man's wounds and leave him there. He picks him up, puts him on his own donkey, on his own animal, slowing him down. Now he's exerting strength. And then he takes him to an inn and took care of him. This man was had so much love for his neighbor that he would whatever plans that he had for himself, whether he was going, whatever was worth the risk of the journey down that dangerous road. He put his entire life on hold to care for this man, took him into this inn. And then spent the night with him, caring for him, because the next day he went to the innkeeper and gave him two Well, what does that mean? That's essentially two days wages. Historians are back and forth about this. Some say that would cover about a month. Others say it would cover two months. But either way, it was a tremendous sum of money that this man had paid to put up his wounded enemy. And then he says this to the innkeeper. Take care of them. And whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. He essentially takes his first century credit card and lays it all on the table. Now These are amazing things. These are selfless things. This man has totally put his life on hold and given all that he could. So this man, his enemy, could live and be healed. But you see, that's not the most amazing thing. That's not the key. The key to this whole passage is not what this man did, but how this man felt about his enemy. Look at what the whole hinge of this is. Verse 33. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where this man was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. Compassion. On him. Compassion on him. Now the Greek word there for compassion is splach mitzumai, Right? Splach mitzumai. Um, and it describes sort of, you know, the splach from like the deepest places in our guts. Right? The deepest, most pure feeling. In fact, it's rarely used of a human's feelings to another human being. It's often used of uh, Jesus and his feelings towards us. When Christ sees us, he has pity. He has splach mitzvah for, for us. My life group on Thursday night had a great time with this word, splach mitzvah. They're going to make up t-shirts that, that, that say, I got splot at St. Michael's. I mean, at St. Saint, Saint Thomas's church. They're going to have a ball with that. But anyway, um, but what we have is not just a parable about actions, but a parable about the heart. Interestingly. Um, uh, I actually uh, worked closely with someone who in my heart I held out as a great enemy. I'm not going to go into all the details of that. But the reality is, is that I viewed this person as my enemy. I viewed them as someone who came to, to use me for their own personal reasons, to, uh, to treat me poorly for their own personal gain. And I had fostered a really, Beautiful and justifiable hatred for this person, right? But then as I was working with them on this project, a major part of their project fell through. And God did. This is not me, not me at all. But the Holy Spirit working in me, refining me, transforming me, did something that I thought was impossible without me even thinking about it. sad for him. My heart broke for him because he had worked so hard to work on this one project and out of no fault of his own, it fell apart. Someone bailed on him. Someone pulled out their promises for him. And, like, and I was angry at myself for loving him. I shouldn't love you. I shouldn't feel sorry for you. I should be like, that's right. You deserve that. You don't mess with this, Right. God, God got you in this. No, but what was fascinating, the Holy Spirit. Actually, my first sort of reaction was compassion and sadness. And I saw him as a person just like me, weeping. And then the spirit did the next amazing thing, which was to allow me to act on that love for my enemy and come alongside of him. Buy him a gift card to his favorite restaurant and, and vowed myself more hours to help fix this situation. Again, that's incredible that God can do that in me. And you see, what's fascinating by the end of this passage is how does Jesus end it? He tells this lawyer, he says, um, after he says, obviously, the uh, Samaritan was the uh, true neighbor. He says, go, you go and do likewise. And in almost every single application I've heard of this, they forget that verse 33 isn't there. They just talk about actions. But actually, Jesus is not just commanding actions, is he? He's commanding a heart change. He's commanding that we are uh, that we go have compassion on our enemy neighbors. Now, that leads us to the third question. How in the world do we do that? We can no more change our hearts and I can grow hair on my head. Believe me, I've tried. Right. We can no more. You know, we heard it in our songs. He can change a leper's spot. Right. He can. He can. We can't will that. So how in the world do we become people that have a heart like the Samaritan and a heart like Jesus Christ? Well, about, six, about 1,700 years ago, a great Christian named Augustine, sorry, Augustine, went to, went to seminary in England, they all said, said Augustine, um, lived about between 350 and 430 A.D., and when he was looking at this story, yes, he saw seen but he saw something so much deeper. And he saw how this story of the good Samaritan can make us compassionate, self-sacrificing, even to our greatest enemies. How? He saw us and he saw Jesus here. Us. Who are we in this story? We're the idiot that went down, down the foolish path. And sin came, our own sin, and Satan and evil and the world came and fell upon us and left us half dead, sitting by the side of the road. And though it's an uncomfortable thing to think about it, shocking, it it shocked our life when we talked about it, but at our hearts, if we're honest, aren't we really God's enemies? Don't we secretly wish that, gosh, man, if God just wasn't here, I could do whatever I wanted to, my life would, would be Would be better. Maybe we even see God as robbing us of our happiness. But if we're honest, we see God as our enemies. And whenever we sin, not just against God, but against others, it's the same as sinning against God. If you sin against my son or my daughter, you're sinning against me. And so there we are, God owing us nothing but justice and we should suffer for our sins. But here comes Jesus, the true and better Samaritan towards us. And he comes down from heaven, takes on not just the form of man, but becomes fully human and we are, yet without sin and the mystery of that, but yet still fully God. He comes down, exposes himself to the dangers of this world, stops by us. Look at how passive this half dead man is. Comes and binds up our wounds with his blood and his love and the oil of the Holy Spirit. Binds us up. Puts us on his animal. Sacrifices himself for us as he takes us to the place of ultimate caring. And he doesn't just pay one price. You see, he's the true and better Samaritan because the Samaritan didn't give everything. Jesus Christ gave his very life for us that we could live and be healed and not die. We can't will a heart that is is as compassionate as the one that we see see here. It must be formed in us. It must be a gift that's given from, from the outside. And the only way that we can be even close to this picture is when we dive deeply into God's love for us. It's only when when we realize the great sacrifice that Jesus, our Samaritan, has done and does do for us every day that our hearts become changed, like like, like the Grinch's, right? It's too hot for for a Grinch reference, but I'm going to go for it, right? The the uh, Grinch's heart grew, you know, five times that that day, right? It's only then when we know that love that we become people like Jesus. Augustine sums it up when. When he writes this, he shows mercy to us because of his own goodness. While we show mercy to one another because of God's goodness to us, he has compassion. He has on us so that we may enjoy him completely. While we have compassion on another, that we may enjoy him completely. So, who's our neighbor? Our greatest enemy. How do we treat them? With compassionate. Splat of Pouring out self-sacrificial love. How do we become those, those kinds of people? Diving more deeply. Into the fact. That we are the true one. Broken down on the side of the road. And Jesus Christ. Pours out everything. Even his own life. To rescue us. Heal us. And make us sinners his own. And this is good news for us sinners indeed. Amen.